Hello and welcome to the No BS Approach to Motherhood podcast, hosted by Catherine Hay and Shelley McKenzie. We are both mothers and clinical nutritionists who specialize in women's health. We are here to not only bring you the most up-to-date nutritional and health advice when it comes to fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, and children's nutrition, but our main goal is to break through the BS that can come with motherhood. No topic is off limits, so grab a cuppa or a glass of wine and join us for another raw and real conversation surrounding motherhood. Hello, how are you? Good, darling, how are you? I'm well, and we are back again for a little catch-up episode because so many things have been happening in our lives and so many things that we think all you amazing mamas want to hear about, (laughs) and especially you shall you are the birth is pending very quickly we will be seeing you have a new baby girl in life so how are you feeling talk to us fill us in yeah absolutely crazy so when this is released this episode i'll have five weeks left till due date and we are releasing my previous birth and pregnancy stories before then but i'm a due date gal so yeah i'm sort of counting down to my due date i am trying not to think that i'll go early but i think i'll go early you know when like you've got you're like oh i'm gonna go earlier i'm gonna go on my due date and then that time comes and goes and you're like wow this is now just taking forever and it feels like it drags so i'm very much aware of that thought but yeah i'm feeling so my boys uh mac has taken my boys away this weekend which couldn't have come at a better time really so i've got the next 24 hours to myself and probably the last 24 hours are when i've really felt quite a lot of shift so bubby girl her movements are making me feel quite nauseous maybe too much information but you know we're nutritionists and we talk about poo for a living so Uh, a lot of hormonal diarrhea as well what else has been going on i'm feeling really low and heavy and with lenny i was dilated for about three centimeters for weeks prior and i sort of feel like i'm back in that space Uh, obviously i need her there for a little while longer because i'm only 35 weeks and it would be considered preemie if i went too early and i wouldn't be able to home birth but uh yeah that's sort of where i'm at i guess are you having um braxton hicks Last night, I reckon I did. Yeah, the boys have gone camping and Macca was like packing his esky with beer. And I was like, honey, you're over an hour away. Like, you got to watch how much you're drinking. <laughs> you're on call from now until this baby's out. So you've had too much beer and you can't come to me. I'm going to kill you. 100%. It's like you have to be literally on call because you could have birth, give birth, have birth, give birth any minute now because this is your third baby too. Yeah, so you you, you honestly just do not know. So anyway, yeah. sorry, I'm very unprepared. Today I'm going to do like a quick target run, a quick Bunnings run because obviously home birthing, I need like drop sheets, my furniture, and I need buckets and strainers for my placenta and all these quirky things that you just don't. Um, can we just talk about what do you mean you need a strainer for your placenta? This is a foreign territory for me. So can you fill us in why you need a strainer for your placenta? Well, I birthed my placenta in a bucket. Uh-huh. I've given birth in the pool the last two times. However, this time I'm considering not getting a pool at all. And mm-hmm. Because my midwives really want me birthing outside of the pool. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had tearing and they can assist my perineal more if I'm out of water. But I know if I've got a pull here, I'll want to hop straight in at the minute I go into pushing phase. So uh, in previously, I've birthed in the pool. They get you straight out so they can monitor how much blood loss. And then when my placenta is ready to be birthed and I'm, I'm ready to push again, I stand up and they hold a bucket under me and I, I, I literally just birth my placenta in a bucket. I don't know how it's done in hospital. <laughs> that's how I do it. Love it. Primal. I know, right? And the strainer, because I get, I don't know if this is, I actually don't know. I've never actually asked this, but it's on your birth list of what you need at home. But I think it's because uh, I do the placenta encapsulation, but regardless of that, the midwives obviously look at your placenta as well, mm-hmm. it tells them a lot. And so they, I think, pick it up with the strainer and they, like the blood and everything comes out and they can see the placenta uh, better. And assess it because you have to make sure it's all intact, don't you? Exactly right. They need to make sure that there's none left in me and all mm. the sort of things. So I, I believe that's why it is there. But I've never actually asked. Yeah, I've just always had the strainer and it's always been used. Yeah, wow. Very interesting because I had an epidural, so I had no idea when my placenta slid out. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, no was, idea. And, and I'm assuming it's just still while you're on the table. like. It, yeah, yeah. And they were like, oh, here's your placenta. They just took it over to the steel tray things and had a look at it. Do you want to take some pics? Nick was like, yeah, sure. Took some pics. And I was like, oh, cool. There's my placenta. But it was like, an, it was this thing. But knowing that you've got the strainer there and you birth it into a bucket, I just love that. It's so primal and raw and like, yes, you're in the depths of it. <laughs> Literally just like in my lounge room, over like all my drop sheets to protect my furniture. And I just birth it into a bucket. I love it. I love it. It's so good. It's so, so good. Funny is I know no different. So when I say that, people are like, what do you mean you birthed your placenta into a bucket? Like, like Seriously, that's why I'm sh- I was shocked. I was like, tell me more. I need to hear this. I, I don't know what this means. <laughs> so funny. So, yeah, so that's what that's that. I have booked my placenta encapsulation, which we're also doing an episode with that Chinese doctor all about placenta encapsulations, which will be a great one. So that's all booked in. I've used the same person for all three of my placentas. So that's exciting. And uh, at the moment, Bubby Girl is breached, but my midwives aren't concerned because I'm six foot tall, long torso. They're like, you've got lots of room and she's just having a field day in there right now. So Van was breached as well. And, you know, I did the chiropractor and the acupuncture and all that sort of stuff. And he flipped at some point. I can't even remember when. Uh, so, yeah, so that's sort of where I'm at with, with her. And this yeah. Well, it's just a ticking, you're a ticking time bomb, really. I seriously am. I'm really excited. And our plan, just for all you listeners, I am planning on first sharing baby girl and the story, obviously, on here. So her name, everything on a podcast episode within days of giving birth, let's face it. I can't wait for this. All of our postpartum, like, you know, ideal postpartum, like rest, recover. I'll be like, let me do a podcast on my birth. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I said to Shalof there, I was like, so what are your thoughts about jumping on, you know, literally you know, when, when do you feel comfortable about getting on a podcast and sharing us your birth story and everything? She's like, pretty much straight away. I was like, great, thank you. Let's do it. <laughs> so everyone will have to stay tuned and keep following. I'm excited. her and how it all goes. Yeah, can't wait. Cannot wait. And what about you, Dalian? How's Sunny Girl? What's been happening in your world, your life? We have had an interesting time with Miss Sunny Girl. We are going through a phase and 
age appropriate phase, so I've been told, of biting. So picked Sunny Girl up from daycare last Tuesday and she had bit several children, several. I was shocked because I just had, had never really seen this behaviour before with Sunny and we're not around kids all the time because, you know, I don't have lots of friends up here with kids. My family's all in Melbourne. It's just kind of Sunny and I when we hang out during the week um, on our days off together. So I'm, we're not around other kids, so I don't see her behaviour. So one of the educators said, we had to write several incident reports because of Sunny biting. And I was just like shocked, mortified. Oh my God, my kid's a bully. What's going on? All the thoughts just kept you know racing through my head. Called my mum. I was in tears. Called my mother-in-law because she's a primary school teacher. I'm like what do I do? What do I do? You know, she's such this like little angel turbo toddler. Yes, for me. But I was like, how do I navigate this behavior when I don't see it at home all the time? You know, and I was sent resources and all of that. And I was looking out for it. And then, you know, she went back to daycare Thursday, Friday, Thursday, she beat a couple more kids. (laughs) And then Friday, she beat none. So I was like, okay, maybe, you know, they're teaching her strategies and things at um, daycare as well, which is great. You know, I'm really grateful for that but I'm like you know what are your what are you doing there so I can do it at home if I see it they're like teaching her songs like teeth are made for chewing food not for chewing humans (laughs) it's like okay I can make that into a song can I far out anyway so I went away on the weekend to an incredible um fertility conference so I was away for a good you know 24 hours so then it was just Sunny and I on the Monday together so we were, we were hanging out and I had a bit of work to do and I wasn't giving her any attention. So she beat me and I was so happy she did because I could see the behavior. So that was that allowed me to punish her. I'm using this in inverted commas, the way that, you know, I wanted to explain to her that this was not okay. So I got down to her eye level. I explained to her why this isn't appropriate obviously in language that she could semi-understand. She barely, you know, she doesn't even talk um, full sentences or anything that like that. But I showed her the bite mark and I was like, ouch, mummy's in pain. You know, I, I fake cried. <laughs> so she could see my emotion response to that as well. And I just kept saying like, no, this is not okay. Ouch, this hurts, this hurts, this hurts. Look, I don't know if that was the right thing to do or not. And I made, you know, positive parenting and all that shit. I don't really know. It's my first baby, but everyone said it's age appropriate. She'll get over it, move on. It's not a big deal. So I just kind of like left it at that. And we've had this full week at daycare this week and she hasn't bitten one kid. So, yeah, I feel like it's, well, I feel like it's worked. I feel like I may, may have gotten on to her about it and she was understanding because she understands things. She understands hot and cold. So, you know, she understands all the other things. So I'm like, maybe it was just me being that little bit more forceful in terms of like, no, like really looking at her in the eyes. And however I did, I can't even remember. It was a bit of a blur, but. It was just maybe the catalyst that we need. And the educators were like, she's had a really good week. She's been really great. She's pushing a few kids, but she's not biting. And I'm like, cool. I don't care if she pushes kids. Yeah. Well, I do. Obviously, I don't want her pushing kids off playground equipment and stuff like that. But I don't want to bite. Yeah. And probably her seeing your emotions as well. I actually went through a phase with Van only like weeks ago and I was like, I do not know what to do with him. And I was going and booking him to see like a kinesiologist just to try to shift some energy and help him with his emotions and stuff because he was going through a phase where 
he was hurting other kids and, and hurting Lenny and it was an intention thing as well. Mm. Um, so the minute I wasn't paying full attention, like Lenny just cops it and Lenny is such a gentle soul. He never tells Van to stop or does it back. But anyway, I've got a girlfriend who is a, a psychologist and she has done a lot of work with children's psychology and she actually sent me some reels on Instagram, which I'll try to find and link into these show notes because one of them was about that, was about letting the child see your emotion. So ah. I remember my friend was saying how, because she's got the same age as Van and Lenny as well, two boys, and something had happened in their house and it was a similar thing. And she got down to her oldest one's level and sort of just like overreacted the emotion, but instantly he could see it and he knew that it had, he had done wrong. Yes. And so it was really interesting. So I might try to find those yeah. and put them into our show notes because I found it really useful with Van. And obviously what you've done with Sunny has also helped if she's then done that and then followed on by not biting for the remainder of the week. That's it. And that's what I was thinking, like that over emotion, like showing them, you know, that this, this hurts, this, you know, it hurts. But I was like, fuck, am I raising a bully? <laughs> you know? And like my girl, I've got a few girlfriends and they were like, um, that I chat to on Instagram who have kids as well. And they said like, Kathy, you, it's just, it's, it's, they're just going through a phase. If she was around older kids, they'd bite her back and it would be done there. You know what I mean? But she's just not around older kids to kind of push her around a bit and teach her like right and wrong also. And I was like, yeah, that's true. And the educators also said she would have been bitten. So someone would have bitten her. That's why she's biting other kids. And I was like, yeah, of course, that makes sense to me as well. But, you know, first time mum over here, it's just constant learning. And I know, particularly it was, not seeing it. That's it. Environment. That's a lot to deal with. But the other part of all of this is we also need to remember that our babies are COVID babies. Yes. Social. Like they're not, yeah. we literally have to socialize them yeah. and try to deal with this stuff because most of them are used to just hanging out with us and are mm-hmm. used to our attention as adults. And, you know, so that's the other tricky part, which I guess like that has never been a thing up until the last two years. Yeah, that's it. And it's, it's interesting. I took her to the park the other day because I was like, I need to get her around kids, you know. I need to get her socialising and not just daycare but on our days off together. And I only had two days off with her during the working week and I just wanted to see how she'd interact. And, you know, she was more so just wanting to interact with me. And I don't have a mum's group. I don't have any of that. So it's a really interesting space for me to navigate as this kind of parent now that I'm like, okay, well, maybe we've got to socialise you. Maybe I should take her to swimming lessons or, or, you know, whatever. But I'm also got a career. So it's really hard for me to structure in that time because even on my days off with Sunny, I'm still working or, you know, doing things like that too. So it's not, yeah. I found it quite challenging with that aspect uh, with seeing Sunny socialising and having friends, you know, and that type of thing because it just hasn't been a big part of her life over the last two years and the most interaction she has with kids is at daycare. Yeah, such a wild world to navigate, particularly with that mix of COVID throwing in there for the last two years. It's only now that we're really seeing how that's impacted them when they are in their everyday environment or what have you. I take the boys to the park every morning and they will, well, not every morning, just like the mornings that they're not at daycare, we'll spend our first chunk of 
the day. They go to bed at 11 o'clock, my boys. So by eight o'clock, we're always out. We get coffee. We go to the park. That's been really good because A, they're two little turbo toddlers and they've got a lot of energy to get rid of. Mm. But that's helped them socialize a little bit more when they're at the park because there's normally other kids there in the morning. From 11 o'clock onwards, we stay home for most of the day because I'm like you, I'm always working and sort of juggling that that ball. But um, yeah, I think going to the park and, and letting them socialize outside of their environment, I've found really helpful because Van is particularly like he's uh, almost three. So he's learning more about the sharing and, and all of that sort of stuff outside of his own environment. Yeah. I was like, when I was hanging at the park, I was like, okay, are there any mums around here that want to be my friend? (laughs) You need to do what I do. I literally have met all my mum friends at the park during COVID lockdowns. (laughs) And I just like go up to them and be like, hey, I'm Shelly. But it's easy when your kid's socialising with their kid. Yeah, exactly. See, I've got this little hermit that's like attached to my leg. I'm like, go and make friends with people. But apparently at daycare, she's super sociable. So it's, yeah, it's, I'm just learning so much. And I think because I'm always in career mode, like that's, I'm not necessarily in mum mode the whole time. So on our days off, I'm not doing, like, I know this sounds bad, but I'm not doing things for Sunny. I'm doing things for me. So you know, I'm constantly like, oh no, I've got this deadline. I've got to do this and I've got to do that. So I'll just put something on with Sunny here and I'll get my work done. Or, you know, I'm not like, oh, I'll go to rhyme time at the library or I'll do swimming lessons or I'll take her to the park. I go, I want to go for a walk. So I'm just going to go for a walk where I bypass the park so she doesn't chuck the shits and throw a tantrum when I'm pushing the pram and pounding the pavement trying to get past the park you know that's what I've always done so now I'm trying to restructure that and be like okay maybe this is Sunny's time this is you know our days off together I structure in her time and socializing time and go to the park or whatever and make a bit more of a a habit or a ritual out of that together instead of it being all about me (laughs) But the other part of that is like, it doesn't sound bad at all because I think mum's listening as well. When you've got babies, it is all about like, yes, it's about them, but you can go for a walk and they do not care about the park. And, you know, yeah. Sam's only getting to that age now where she will want to start and, and you'll probably find as well that you might need to go and take her to just to burn energy. And I found they got to a point with Van where I was like, okay, we need to actually be doing something active in the morning. That's just how it the rest of our day flows really well is if they've been out to the park, they've had their sunshine, their playtime. Yeah. You know, and then the rest of the day, honestly, like I can, sometimes it'll be like Coco Melons. I just open a heap of drawers. They play with different toys. I just shift them from upstairs to downstairs. I'm like, okay, come on, let's go upstairs now and let's play with your toys up there. And I take my laptop with me, but they're interested yeah. with something different. And obviously I'm giving them their attention when they want it, but that's how I sort of structure our day. Like when I'm with the boys, it's get up, breakfast, we're out the door by 8 a.m. and we're home by 11, they sleep. I normally nap at that same time. And, yeah. <laughs> and then I get up before them and do what work I need to do. And the rest of the afternoon is just that juggling act. Yeah, yeah, which I think sounds perfect. And I think I'm slowly getting into that routine now. Well, I'm seeing that I I think it's needed. I think, you know, letting her burn off steam too, I think that's really important. And she's getting, you know, she'll be two at the end of August. So we're getting to that age where, yeah, she won't let me go past a park now without 
having a tantrum. Just find one with the coffee shop nearby because that's my thing, right? <laughs> I, I every single morning go and buy a coffee and take it to the park and that's just, it. like, that's my self-care part of that. Yeah. Morning. And do you know what? And I, this has been a, another massive contributing factor. We've been in rain since November. It has not stopped raining up here. Like, it has been horrific weather. So... I think that's the other thing. We've kind of all been accustomed to just stay indoors because it has not stopped raining. So it's like a rarity that we get, you know, a few consecutive days of, of sunshine. So that's the other thing. It's like, well, actually, it's been a struggle to even get out of the house because the weather's been so putrid. Hopefully that will change soon. But it's been hideous up here. Anyway, I'm not going to sit on this podcast and talk about the fucking weather, but... <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get out in the rain and sit at a park and like, nah, not for me. Not for me either. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think you're doing a great job and we all go through this and we all navigate this. And honestly, even the biting and things, I don't want to say that it's normal, but as you said, it's very age appropriate. And I am honestly dealing with that stuff all day, every day with Van and Lenny, like Van the other day pushed Lenny's head into a wall and, um, Like he's doing stuff like that all the time and it's hard and that positive parenting and all the rest of it. Yeah, that's, that's all great and what have you, but that even gets exhausting within itself because I level and just say, you know, what you've done is wrong. And then five minutes later he goes and does it again. So, you know, I think we're all just trying to navigate this space. We're all just trying to navigate our kids. They're not bullies. They're just, they're, they're trying to navigate their world too. Their, their emotions, all of that. Like Van, when he acts out now, is it's all around emotions, and he's almost three, and he's only just starting to tell me that, and that's how I know that because he's he'll you know we'll say to him, Van, you need to go to your room and have some space uh, once he's if he's done something to Lenny, and I go back up there within a few minutes, and I'm like, so why did Mummy just tell you to do this? And I know some people will be listening, going, time out, no way, but whatever works for us. Yeah, and we'll go. Well, I'm really disappointed, Mummy, and I say, well, why are you disappointed? Because I hurt Lenny and I didn't mean to hurt Lenny and now I'm here. Okay, well, how about we come down? If you're ready to, we'll say sorry to Lenny. And and that for us has been game changing. That has happened in the last couple of months, probably from two and a half. Wow. Just started being able to talk through like disappointed or I'm grumpy today or I'm sad. And that has helped me navigate this. But prior to that, I'd be like, you know, he could have had time out for example like if I had kept going it would have been 20 times in half an hour and that's the thing you know and that's the thing I've got to be aware of too you know she's still so young and still learning and you know all the things and the emotions are wild and she has no self-regulating mechanisms there at play so yeah and that and that's the other thing and I think once you know she's this is what I, we need to do. I need to get Van and Sunny in a room together and let them have at each other just because <laughs> just someone to like push her around a little bit, but also who's a little bit older just to kind of teach her the way. Or maybe I just need to have another baby. Maybe that's the other thing. Have another baby, definitely. I'll, I'll 100% support that, which I started doing with Van and, you know, we'll have to wrap this up soon, but uh, it was something else I saw on Instagram was it was another um, child psychologist and she was saying when your kid, and this is what we did with Van before he was expressing his emotions. She was like, when your kid's acting out, teach them to like hiss like a snake or roar like a lion. 
Ah. So for a long time when Van did something to Lenny or somebody else or just even like through a massive tantrum, I'd sort of be like, okay, darling, let's hiss like a snake. And we would literally sit there being like, but I'd teach him how to take that big breath and it's that self-regulating doesn't do it as much anymore and that's probably just more because we've dropped out of it because now we're communicating it but for a while there I remember he went to my mum's house one day and she's like he was hissing a lot like (laughs) why was he doing that and I was like oh we were we've actually been teaching him that when he's frustrated or what have you to like hiss or to roar like a lion and he would do that so that was another like that was actually a pretty cool thing which we've stopped doing but I love that I love that Yeah, so when he was getting really worked up and in the middle of a tantrum, I'd just sort of get down to him and I'm like, come on, baby, let's let's roll like a lion. And we'd take it, I'd like take this big, like exaggerated breath and then we'd literally be like, rah, (laughs) like that. (laughs) And, um, you know, and it just did. And it it, like instantly, one, it could have been because it was changing his mind frame as well and giving him a distraction, but it was also that self-regulating and because we were either roaring like a lion, the hissing like a snake worked better for Van, but because we were doing that every time, like he started actually doing it on his own. I love this. This is incredible. This is a really gold word of wisdom from you. So thank you for sharing this with me and everyone else. I um, I can't claim credit for it. I've got no idea who that was on Instagram. It was someone's real. There's actually some really awesome, like qualified people on Instagram. I'll definitely find them and leave the link here because it's my girlfriend who is in this area of work who's given me these resources. Yes. So I will leave the links here because uh, they're very realistic yeah, they're obviously all that soft parenting or gentle parenting or whatever it's called or whatever. But also I find it really realistic and they're down to earth in terms of like, you know, a, a mum's going to lose her shit and that's okay. Yeah, good. That's what I like. Okay, but this is what we can start with. Yeah. <laughs> hope it works. And if it doesn't, then yeah, we just lose our shit. Yeah. <laughs> we cry. Without <laughs> an SOS to the hubby. <laughs> Absolutely. Get the fuck home now. <laughs> <laughs> But we should probably wrap this up because this was a catch up, which has turned into a full episode length, but that's okay. That's okay. We're talking about toddler tantrums and navigating this space. And it's, you know, this is why we made this podcast to be able to hash it all out and talk about what's been happening in our lives because we know so many of you will be going through similar experiences. And again, you're not alone. I know I'm not alone in the whole biting fiasco because it's like we've just spoken. So it's helpful. It's really, really helpful. And we will try to find somebody to come on, somebody qualified to actually talk about toddler tantrums as well. Yeah. But let us know what you think of the catch-ups. If you want us to keep doing them, when they're a bit longer like this, we can just drop another episode in that week. So let us know what you want to do. And yeah, and we will listen to your demands, mamas. Yeah. (laughs) So should we dive into this week's episode? Yes, let's get into it. I'm excited for this week's episode because it's proudly brought to you by Boucher. Boucher offers delicious and nutritious frozen finger food delivered straight to your door for children aged one to seven years. These products have been created by two mamas who pride themselves on making mealtime easy for parents. As clinical nutritionists, they tick all the boxes from us. They have hidden veggies, so perfect for the fussy eater. 
minimal sodium, no sugar added. And for parents, they make mealtimes so easy. We have personally used this brand for our own convenience and love it. If you want to try their range of food, feel free to use a discount code NOBS at checkout for 20% off. Such an easy, easy way to get nutrients into bub if you've got some plus eaters and we've used it ourselves, haven't we, Shell? Yeah, it's so, so good and convenient. Well, on that topic, let's start talking about introducing solids to baby. And I guess one thing that we're really wanting to chat about in this episode is we want to bust the myth that food before one is just for fun because uh, as nutritionists, we know that that is actually not true. And unfortunately, that's still a message that a lot of parents are getting. Mm. But we also want to touch on nutrients that are really essential and important for Bubba when bringing in food. We want to talk about different methods and also we'll touch on allergies and definitely your journey. So I'm going to be predominantly interviewing you today, Kathy, <laughs> because you have had... Uh, a wild ride when it came to introducing Sunny Girl to solids. So do you want to dive in with your story and what happened for you guys when this time came for you? Yeah, absolutely. So we have the diagnosis of FPIs, food protein-induced enterocolitis syndrome. Um, At the time, I had never heard of it, didn't know what it was, never even had read about it um, in my studies whatsoever. So we found out Sunny had a severe, severe allergy to all dairy. And this came about on her third exposure to goat milk formula. And she was within probably about within an hour to two hours after the third exposure of the goat milk, we, she was unconscious, floppy, pale, unresponsive, silly ass didn't even think to call triple zero. We got her in the car and sped straight to the hospital, um, which was only about 15 minutes away from our home and straight into emergency. They took one look at her straight on in the recess room. She wasn't, um, she was still breathing and everything, um, you know, and she was coming in and out of consciousness, but, you know, heart, she's on the heart machines. They're trying to cannulate her. She was a baby. She was probably only four months old at this stage and couldn't do that. And then over a period of time, she started coming to after severe vomiting, severe diarrhea, and they were like, you know, we're not really sure what it is. They're running all these tests, x-rays, all of that kind of left us with, we're not sure. We spent we spent two nights in hospital maybe that, that time because I was still running tests or maybe it was just one night. I can't remember. Anyway, left there with a referral to see an allergist up in Queensland. The wait time was like over four months. So I was like, okay, whatever, that's fine. Deep down at that at that time, I didn't believe it was a allergy because I was like, it's the third exposure. I didn't ever think it was to do with the cows, uh, the goat milk formula. Then we were on a road trip, and Sunny had just started her solids journey, and Nick gave her. He got you know when he had a boost smoothie and he got the straw and just literally dropped a few drops in her mouth didn't think anything of it an hour later the same reaction happened and we were so lucky that we were in the road trip it was a 16 hour road trip we just happened to be by near hospitals so we took her there straight away same thing happened unconscious vomiting the whole lot um they were able to cannulate her so we had fluids another overstay night um in hospital and that's when i was like oh my God, I think she's got FPIs because I, they were floating that terminology with me that first time. And I was 
thinking, what has she eaten? And then we realized Nick's um, smoothie had whey protein powder in it and just two drops sent her back into that insane reaction. So then I knew straight away, okay, I've got to go see this allergist, a specialist um, at the Children's Hospital in Brisbane because I wasn't going to do it. You know, they've sent us away with EpiPens and she's anaphylactic. I'm like, she's not anaphylactic. I know what anaphylaxis is and she's definitely not anaphylaxis. Anyway, saw the allergist up in Brisbane after a period of time and obviously we weren't doing any dairy or anything like that and they confirmed that she had FPIs but she was quite a unique case because she was still reacting to dairy on a skin prick test as well. So she had a few different sensitivities here. So they advised us to obviously remove all dairy from her diet um, and soy because soy has a similar protein structure to dairy. So that was our FPIs journey. So we had those two major reactions with her and it's, it's frightening seeing your little, little baby like semi-unconscious and not responding. So it was very scary because FPIs unfortunately does not discriminate in terms of what you can be sensitive to because it's proteins that set this immune system response off in the gut. So there are kids who are FPIs to avocado, oats, beef, chicken, eggs you know they're like the the common allergens yes but just random rice i know kids that are f pies to pumpkin all of these strange foods that you would never think would create a allergenic response f pies can so we were just grateful that through Sunny's solids journey we didn't discover any other f pies sensitivities and allergens at that time so it was a hard space to navigate I was really excited for the soul's journey because obviously being a nutritionist, this is my jam. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got this human that I can feed from the very get-go and explore foods with her. But then FPIs kind of came into the picture and I was just like, what am I going to do? But I was sensible and I was realistic and I was like, don't let that scare you off because the more you're frightened of that, it does not help Sunny's experience around trying new foods as well. She can see how you react. So I just went in really confident. I knew what her trigger was. And if that happened again, I knew just to call 000, ambulance would come, same thing. I knew it wasn't going to kill Sunny. So I felt pretty confident in that after I kind of did the self-talk that everything will be okay. That was our journey into solids and exposures to allergens was FPIs. Yeah, well, I can't even imagine what you went through, particularly that first one and then it happening again and still not knowing what it is. Like, it's just hectic. But I feel it's really important to share your story because although we don't want to scare any parents off from their solid journey, but it is really important to hear what you went through and, and what that looked like because... Mm. Other parents will also be trying to navigate this. And FPIs, it, it's rare, isn't it? it? It was rare. However, since I've opened up about the journey and you interviewed me on your old podcast as well about it, um, I'm actually more, more regularly than I thought. I get DMs or emails saying, thank God you spoke about Sunny's FPI reaction on here because my daughter just went through the same thing and I knew the signs and symptoms straight away because of your story that's being shared. So it is rare, but I think it's becoming more and more common now that the conversations are happening around it, which is quite interesting because I just don't know why it's becoming more common. 
And that's the thing that intrigues me about FPIs. Is it a gut microbiome issue or is it an immune system issue that's come from utero? Has it come from, who knows? I, I don't, don't know the pathophysiology in terms of how do you develop FPIs, but I feel like it is becoming a little bit more common, but maybe that's just to me because I'm in the area of it and I see kids with FPIs in my clinic. So maybe it isn't as common as we think. Yeah, it's interesting. And uh, so Sunny will potentially grow out, will grow out of FPIs? Yes. So they say when they hit around two years old, they grow out of these sensitivities, Um, but they do a trial in hospital, um, which where they're all hooked up to machines and they will introduce the dairy just to see if she has a reaction. So it's all under supervision at a hospital, which is obviously great for severe FPIs babies. However, an interesting side note to all of this. So Sunny's been at daycare ever since she was about probably 10 or 11 months old, knew about her FPIs allergy. It was severe. She's been on coconut milk at daycare. Probably it was, yeah, it was December last year. I get a call from daycare. One of her educators has accidentally given her 240 mils of cow's milk. And I obviously was shocked. I was like, call the ambulance straight away. I'm getting in a car. I'll meet you in the ambulance. We've got to get this kid to hospital ASAP. I wasn't too worried about Sunny because I knew as soon as the ambulance was there, we're going to get her to hospital. I knew the drill. Like you, you become immune to it. It's like, I know she's going to be okay. So get to daycare. I was furious, absolutely furious at daycare because I'm like, this is poor judgment. I don't care what is going on. You know, this is and severe allergy for this kid. Anyway, get in the ambulance. We go there um, to the hospital. I'm not seeing Sunny deteriorate at all. I'm like, far out. What is going on here? We're sitting in hospital for six hours. They made her stay for six hours because she has FPIs, so they know the progression. You know, three hours in, she's just happy Sunny, no diarrhea, no vomiting, not unconscious, not pale, not floppy, not unresponsive, heart rate normal. We get to about five hours and I'm like, can we go home? (laughs) She's fine. They were like, we'll wait to the six hour mark just so we know the proteins are definitely out of her gut and immune system. So got to six hours, Sunny was totally fine. So I have made the educated decision myself not to do Sunny's FPIs trial in hospital because that couldn't have been more plain as day for me in terms of her potentially growing out of her sensitivity. So I since then have been doing a little bit of trial and error at home. So I have started giving her butter in terms of, you know, cooked in food, no reaction. She's had say a croissant, which we know is full of butter, no reaction. We've had ghee, no reaction. Then I tried her on a little bit of cheese and a taco when we're out for dinner that night. She woke up at 3am and vomited everywhere. Don't know if this was gastro. Don't know if it was an FPIs reaction. There were no other signs and symptoms for FPIs apart from the vomiting. She vomited. She was fine. Went back to sleep. No worries. So it's hard to tell. And cheese is obviously less on that dairy ladder. Milk's the most common and the most intense food in terms of protein and lactose, casein and lactose. So that's the highest you can get on the dairy ladder. Cheese shouldn't be too much of an issue, but we had that happen since then. I haven't gone back to try just because I'm, I'm a bit busy at the moment. So I don't have time 
to be in and out of the hospital if we do get a reaction. So I'm still going to keep trialing her on the dairy ladder, cooked in foods and things like that, but I'm not going to take her back to the hospital. That's just a decision I've made. And I feel confident in treating her at home because I am a nutritionist. I am aware of the whole way to introduce allergens to babies. So that's where we're at with F pies. So I guess F pies aside, let's chat about introducing solids to a baby. So we'll start with where to begin. Talk a little bit more about other allergens and you know a more typical, I guess, response that could occur and how to introduce those. Yeah, definitely. As a general ballpark, we're looking at that six-month mark. We know babies' breast milk and formula alone is not enough for their development then. And this is where we're looking at iron, zinc, essential fatty acids. So essential meaning they're essential to our health, but we don't make them internally, so we've got to get them through our food. That's a big one for babies. Choline, vitamin D, and calcium. So there's there are those nutrients that we know, okay, this is what why we need to start introducing solids and it's around that six month mark. And what I like to educate to my um, clients in clinic, especially mamas is there are a few key developmental signs we're looking out for to show Bubba's ready for that solids journey. They can sit up unassisted. And I think this is a really important one. Peristalsis is the muscle contraction of how we move food and waste matter through the digestive tract. If bub can't sit up unassisted for a longer period of time, how are they going to be able to use peristalsis correctly? This is where we can see, you know, bloating or gas or upset bub's tummy after they've eaten food because they haven't been able to push through that food effectively. That's a big one for me. Uh, showing interest in food. Is bub getting around you when you're eating? Is it trying to reach for your food? Are they engaging when you're eating? And I think this is a really nice time, you know, leading into that solids journey is eating your food around your baby and showing them what you're eating and getting them involved in your food so you can see their involvement in your food as well. Then we've got the tongue thrust reflex. So that's there for a very good reason. The tongue tongue thrust, oh God, get it out. Tongue thrust reflex is there to prevent baby from choking. So a lot of the times you'll see your baby sticking out their tongue, they're pushing it out food and that's because generally they're not ready for solids or it's there to help them prevent choking so when we are introducing solids they're not choking on these foods or liquids and things like that so we want to see that have gone to a certain extent usually it's it's there in some degree but it, it usually is fine if it's a constant pushing out of food maybe baby isn't ready for that either but i guess for me they're the kind of main developmental signs and symptoms that we're not signs and symptoms but developmental um signs that we're looking for to kind of go down that introduction pathway that could be five months it could be six months the only thing i'm a little bit wary of with introducing bub earlier to solids is that their gut microbiome isn't ready can isn't usually ready for the introduction too early and this is where we can see say around that four-month mark babies developing food sensitivities eczema um, asthma and immune system issues because they don't have enough digestive enzymes or gut bacteria to help break down those foods properly for proper absorption and assimilation so that's what I kind of look at in terms of, you know, starting bubs on solids. What about you? Yeah, all of those things. And it's funny with the boys. So with Ben, I wasn't in this sort of space at that point. Like I wasn't specialising in pregnancy or what have you. 
And I was really excited as well for that introductory phase. My breast milk and breastfeeding journey dried up really suddenly and I was really devastated at the time and I had to put Van on a formula. And while I was looking around for the best quality formulas, I was just sort of, you know, navigating that. And and I reckon he was probably maybe four months. He'd started grabbing like potatoes off our plate and he was really interested in food really early. And... So I, I put him on food quite early. However, it's really funny because with Lenny, I held off. Lenny, I did it at about eight months, just purely because with a toddler and life, it seemed like a lot at the time. Like I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to do this again. Like it wasn't that excitement like I had with Van. So I held him off and Lenny's just a beast when it comes to eating. And I took the similar approach with both of them. And I don't know whether it has anything to do with it, but I often wonder, I'm like, I wonder if holding Lenny off just those few extra months really gave him that chance to develop more of his gut microbiome. And he's just a foodie, that kid. I thought Van was a pretty good eater, but he's just like a whole nother level. It's just really interesting, right? Like, Yeah, and you've got those two to compare. At the time, I thought I was doing the right thing via Van, but I was also thinking, oh, if I bring in food, perhaps he won't need as much formula. Like I just didn't know. And now there's some great formulas on the market. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't even think twice about the formulas that you can get now. But at the time I was like, I really don't want to be putting this chemical ridden processed stuff into him. Like I'd prefer him getting his nutrients from food, which just wasn't going to happen when you first introduce in solids anyway, but I thought it might happen sooner. Yeah, absolutely. That was my main reason. And because he was showing a lot of those developmental um, signs that you just mentioned, I thought, no, I'm going to bring it in. But yeah, it's just funny because now, and, and it could just be the fussy toddler stage. I don't know. They're all the things that I look for as well. I sort of followed more Ayurvedic principles when I was introducing food to both the boys. So again, just with that real gut focus of just bringing in foods that I knew were really easy to digest at the beginning. So lots of our greens, so lots of zucchini and stuff like that at the beginning um, instead of, I don't know, more heavier foods. And we sort of did a lot of, I'm just trying to think because it's been a while, but we did definitely more puree the baby led weaning Mm. which I guess parents get really confused as to what they need to be doing here and we chose to do more puree because again if we go back to those nutrients you just mentioned I would watch Van or Lenny with a piece of zucchini and they'd just be chewing on it as when it was a puree and they'd actually be eating it and so there was a really big difference I felt in terms of how much nutrients they were actually getting doing puree versus baby led weaning. Not to say baby led weaning, that's still very important for their developmental views, but yeah, just just different. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I, I think that's such an interesting topic because I get DMs regularly like, should I be doing purees or, or baby led weaning? I'm like, do both, <laughs> do both. And I feel like there's this kind of cult following with baby led weaning, which is fine. But, you know, back in the day, we call it finger food. You know, finger food's been around forever. Our our mums were giving us finger food. It's just finger food. So I also 
do exactly the same as you. It was always, I started with purees, purees a hundred percent because I knew what Sunny was consuming. And if I, and if we didn't know how important those nutrients were, because we know formula and breast milk weren't going to provide those, I think, you know, we probably would do other methods or things like that, but I needed to make sure Sunny was consuming those nutrients and those foods, those whole foods at that point in her life, especially iron, because we know how important that is. And Bubs has only got that six month kind of reservoir or reserve there that they store in the third trimester of pregnancy. So having those iron rich foods coming into the diet from early on was, was really important for me. And the easiest way that I could get that into her was through a puree instead of a, she wasn't ever going to be able to eat some red meat. <laughs> no, that's it. And, and that's the thing I think with purees as well, and we'll chat in a sec about like how often we're bringing what have you but once you're getting into your solids journey i find it very easy to boost the nutrients in that puree food as well so say you know we are doing some zucchini once they've been introduced to that food and we know that there's no allergy around it it's very easy to add things like bone broths to add those extra nutrients in to help boost or puree some meat and and stir that through once it's been introduced and yes yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what's so great. And you touching on the Ayurvedic, you were obviously exposing Bubs, Lenny and Van to herbs, right? Different, you know, turmeric and warming spices and things like that. And this is something I'm really passionate about as well. You can really pimp up baby's food from the get-go. You know, you can be doing, say, chia seed puddings with turmeric and cinnamon and vanilla and all of these incredible herbs. And you can touch on the Ayurvedic ones for us as well in those softer, more spoon-fed ways. And then that's how you can really make that meal more nutrient-dense. So were you doing that with those Ayurvedic kind of herbs and spices? And I found doing things like your chia puddings and and things like that, it was a really easy way to meal prep. Like it was, Mm. it made my solid journey with them far easier being able to just make something like that and have everything in there. And I think in terms of, creating less fussy eaters as well and creating those diverse taste buds, Mm. those herbs and spices is a really beautiful thing to do because not only are we getting the medicinal benefits and supporting their gut and their immune system and all of those things, but we hope that it is creating that diverse taste bud, which is going to pay off in that toddler area when they're starting to say yes and no to certain foods and even though my boys are at the point where they are saying yes and no to certain foods, I feel like their taste buds are quite expanded. That's it. And a key one for us when we obviously knew egg wasn't an allergen for Sunny was having herbed eggs. So I'm using oregano, I'm using basil, I'm using thyme, I'm using parsley, even just dried herbs. And I'm just putting it into some scrambled eggs for her, which is so easy because we know there's so many beautiful benefits to having eggs as well, because it's high in choline and obviously protein and your essential fatty acids, but you've got all these incredible herbs coming through. And I think you're so right. That diverse palette for them with their taste buds is pretty incredible to watch as, you know, I'm navigating toddlerhood with Sunny and foods. And yeah, she's very much aware of what she likes and what she doesn't like, but she'll happily sit down to a beautiful, you know, bowl of salmon with broccoli and things like this, but she'll also sit down and have hot chips. You know, like (laughs) this is a thing if we're out for dinner. So I feel really confident with Sunny's palate and she'll sit there 
and she'll try everything, you know, even olives. The other day she was picking olives off a pizza that we were having and she loved it. And I'm like, that's a very strong taste for a, for a toddler. It's important, definitely important to try to do. And we will dive into a whole nother episode on toddlers and how we're navigating mm-hmm. that. But tell me as well, uh, when it comes to introducing foods do you have that general like two to three day rule per food yeah definitely i tend to go for more three days just in case there's any skin inflammation or condition present when we're doing the allergens so i i say to my mum is let's do the allergen for three days and that gives us a good 72 hour window to kind of work with in terms of has there been any gastrointestinal upset any immune system response or have you seen any skin allergic response because eczema might not necessarily come up in that in that first 24 hours but we might see it in that 48 hour to 72 hour window so then we want to see okay is this is this a food sensitivity you might not even get diarrhea or gut symptoms from it but we are seeing it presenting on the skin so that's obviously the immune system taking out an immune system response skin's our largest elimination organ so something's trying to be eliminated so we want to see what that is so i tend to go for the the three day mark and i just say to my mums don't go into it with fear it is scary and i get that but the more we're involved with our babies and watching them and and looking excited you know giving them that that peanut butter on a spoon or, or giving them some egg yolk in a little pancake form and seeing how they're eating that i think the more they're excited to going into that i think it's really special and yes obviously if there's a reaction there take some deep breaths and then we can go through that reaction together obviously if it's anaphylactic that's something we need to be mindful of and that is something that needs to be act act on right there and then and that's why we have the ambulance and we call triple zero but um i think kids are really receptive to our behaviors around food that's how they develop into starting solids as well watching us eat so the way i always say to my mamas when we're doing solids is go into it being excited being like this is a new food this is exciting this is how we can eat it this is what it's good for talk to them about it as well and i find that that process just kind of shakes that fear off a little bit more than going, you know, looking timid going into introducing um, allergens to bubs. Yeah, absolutely. So they say to try and do all of the allergens by one. I don't necessarily like introducing all of them by one though. So I'm a little bit different in terms in clinics. So I don't like to do dairy until they're about one because dairy is hard to process. It is a hard protein to process regardless of if you're an adult or a baby. So I like to kind of do the dairy ladder around one. But before then I would like to have seen all the other major allergens done, peanuts, sesame, fish, eggs, and what else is there? all the nuts but they're all the main ones that i would like to have seen introduced before bub turns one just so their gut can develop digestive enzymes and bacteria too to support them as they're developing and what is usually a food sensitivity if they're having a reaction that's obviously not anaphylactic or s pies they will usually grow out of it do you see that too it is it is as they're generally as their gut microbiome is still establishing like we can't expect that they come out of the womb and start introducing foods at six months and within that time they've developed that strong gut microbiome we need to be able to establish the bacterias and everything we need to break down certain foods and that doesn't happen over a three-day exposure exactly yeah exactly and it takes three years for a little one's gut microbiome to fully develop so in that three years you can see so much change of what 
you know, they might have been reacting to avocado because avocado is a high histamine food when you first introduce solids. But then 12 months down the track, reintroduce it to babes, see what happens. And you'll probably be able to tolerate avocado again because they've got more digestive enzymes and bacteria to help with those high histamine foods. Yeah. And is there anything else that we've sort of missed around common questions or this introductory phase that might be beneficial for mummers? I think it's a tricky one too when baby does turn one because there are all different transitions happening from maybe mothers are looking to start weaning if they're breastfeeding and how do I go from breastfeeding? Do I have to give baby a bottle of cow's milk. That's something that I do see quite a lot in clinic is what do I replace if I want to wean from breast milk or the formula, you know, moving from newborn formula into toddler formula. How do I navigate that space? And when baby turns one, we would want baby to be moving into getting all of their nutrients from food there. We're looking at three main meals a day. We're looking at snacks. We're looking at food being the predominant nutrient source. So this is a really tricky one because there's so many different products on the market and toddler milks and all of this type of thing. But this is why I love establishing that diverse palette and with herbs and all those different things as well and cooking because when we're moving away into food being the primary source, we really don't need to be substituting them with toddler milk or, you know, cows, dairy bottles per day. They just don't need it. They really don't need it. Definitely milk. Sunny still has milk bottles for sure, but, you know, I'm doing 30 mils coconut milk and the rest water. I'm diluting it or I'm doing, you, you know, if you wanted to do cow's dairy for your child, do you could do 30 mils and the rest water. You don't have to do these full bottles of oat milk, rice milk, coconut milk, cow's milk, whatever it looks like. And I kind of say to my mums too, if you're doing toddler milk, that's totally fine, but you want to make sure you're still getting those nutrients to your food. That is absolutely paramount for their immune systems, especially when they're getting exposed to more pathogens at daycares and environmental exposures and things like that. Toddler milk for me is great if baby is sick and is off their food and doesn't want to eat by all means, bring in a toddler formula for sure. So then you know baby's getting some type of nutrition in. Do you have a similar point of view with all of that? As soon as my boys hit one and they were eating, or actually Lenny was even that little bit earlier because he was honestly eating like a child would quite early. Um, Like he was eating three solid meals and two snacks before yeah, I switched my boys saying almond milk. We use the Pure Harvest organic almond milk and I just do like whatever I've got, probably about the same 30 ml and dilute it with water. That's a comfort thing. It's not, it's, not for, it's not for nutrition at that point. And so, yeah, that's what we did as well. Yeah, and I think that's the main takeaway. It's purely for comfort for all of these little bubbers. And look, I did a, I actually posted on my Instagram back at that time I used to do a bit of bone broth in there for Sunny as well. So again, trying to pimp up these these milks or these beverages that you're giving to them. If you need to get baby to drink more water, perfect. Then give them a bottle with 20 mils coconut milk or whatever you do, predominantly water. So they're getting that hydration in as well. I think you can always change it around to suit your baby's needs. I love bone broth. Sunny was having bone broth, you know, since six months old because of how fantastic that is for the gut and healing up that permeability that they have naturally from when they're born. So you can mix coconut milk and bone broth and give that to them as a beverage as well. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as they've got their taste buds there for that particular type of beverage. And I think that can be like a little nutrition hack for most mums. 
and a way to get bone broth into their babies. I love that. And I can't wait till we dive into another episode more around that toddler nutrition, I guess, and mm. how to check up the meals because there is so many fun hacks like the bone broth that you can add in and really get the most out of their meals. Like my boy's breakfast is pimp. Yeah. If they've had that breakfast, I know that the rest of the day that van particularly can be a bit of a grazer so i'm not concerned because i know he's had his collagen and his probiotic and fish oil and vitamin d and everything within that breakfast so yeah we'll definitely dive into that side of things soon as well and i just want to mention a couple of resources for mamas who are going through this phase so on my website freedom wellness i've got the 60 day assault cheat sheet which is literally just running through what i've done with the boys from that ayurvedic type uh, principle the 60 days I don't touch on the allergens on there just because I like to do that individually but yeah I've got how I sort of bring in that and it's a 60 day it's literally like a 60 day cheat sheet on what foods to bring in next um, and then you've got the mama and mini ebook which is amazing so chat us through that so mama and mini again after you've done most of the allergens the only allergens you won't find in that um, cookbook is obviously soy and dairy because i tried all my recipes on sunny i made mama and mini purely for the fact that i don't want to be cooking for myself and sunny i want to have meals that we can share together that we're both getting our optimal nutrients from so it was taking out the pressure of mum slaving away in the kitchen, all these different meals for all different family members. It's family food, can be shared with your baby from when they've started to be introduced to allergens and it's easy, no stress meals. So, yeah, it's a really good resource. And so as your 60 days, having that cheat sheet for mums to be able to say and tick a few off the list for that first 60 days of introducing solids is just so helpful because it is overwhelming and you know, mums do want, okay, which food should I try now and how should I do it? So I really recommend mums to go to your cheat sheet. And then after they've done your cheat sheet, then you could have, you know, look at my resource because that's for further down the line when you're about eight to nine months old. I just had my cheat sheet on the fridge with Lenny and I put it together as an actual resource for mums. Um, and the other thing is our Instagram, the OBS approach to motherhood. We've got some uh, reels and things like that with some um, hacks and lots of information. So there's a few resources to go for for all you mums starting your solids journey. And before we wrap up, any last minute words of wisdom? Take it slow. Take it slow. Do you agree? I think that... Yeah, this, you don't have to rush into to doing the solids picture. And I think a lot of mamas go into solids thinking it's going to help their kids sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge myth, actually. It's a massive myth that's not going to help your, your baby sleep. So I, and that's where we can see solids prematurely starting. And that's where I do see babies with childhood eczema and gastrointestinal issues because solids are just too early in the gut, hadn't fully developed yet. So I think just take it slow, trust your mama instinct. And if you're not feeling confident, reach out to someone, you don't see kids, but reach out to someone like myself. I can guide you through that and literally hold your hand through that process to make it less stressful. I have some of my mums on call. They're like, oh my God, we just did eggs. And I'm like, great. How did babe go? And they run me through the signs. I'm like, perfect. You know, I'm getting, I'm getting nappies, shitty nappies sent to me daily um, in my emails and 
Because that gives me an idea of, no, that's not a normal nappy. That does not look like a healthy poo to me. So then I can guide the mum on, okay, let's try a different version or let's try something else. We'll bring that back in maybe six months time. So if you are feeling really stressed and overwhelmed, you can reach out to someone like me, but I I honestly believe, believe you have got this. All our mums did it for us without these incredible resources that we have now as well. So keep that in mind and take your time, take it slow and just see, go by what your baby's doing as well. What about you? Yeah, go by what your baby's doing. I think if you're in like a mum's group and everything, which is great, obviously, but we can get a little bit uh, sidetracked and forget that this is our own baby's journey. And if a mum is starting their baby early, we think we need to be. And we put that pressure on ourselves. And I've experienced that myself with Lenny, particularly when I was holding him off. There's a real pressure around me that, oh my God, he's past six months. Like I've got to put him on food. And, you know, like it just, that makes it worse. So definitely if we're looking for those cues that we mentioned very early on in this podcast and going by what your baby responds to and, and what have you I think the journey is much nicer so just go go with your bub uh, forget about everyone else and everyone else's babies around you and just stick in your own lane and and enjoy the process exactly it's it's so fun food is fun it is so fun because you can see what baby's interested in and watch their faces exploring it's such a sensory overload for bubs and it's a really exciting time so I really try and g up so many mummers that come into my clinic and instead of being fearful let's get excited by it absolutely and you know you can create really beautiful routines and things around it as well particularly when you are eating as a family and you know having fun yeah just have fun yeah. Yeah, have fun. Have fun. (laughs) All right, mamas. Well, that is us for another week. We will see you all here next week. Don't forget to go over and review our podcast because it really helps us keep bringing these episodes to your ears. But until then, stay, stay, stay. Oh, God. Stay sane. And we'll see you again next week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That way we can continue to inspire and reach more mamas around the globe. If you would like to get in contact, request a guest or topic, then head to the No BS Approach to Motherhood Instagram page and send us a direct message. Otherwise, until next episode, stay sane, mama.